Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome back to the No Ratings Podcast. I am sounding rough because I'm still jet lagged three days after coming back from India. I'm in a terrible condition. So shout out Danielle and Sakib and everyone else for keeping the podcast going. Um, it's the insight. It's a Sunday. It's Manchester United. Man City. We don't have a split screen like Sky Sports did for Gary Neville and Carragher arguing, but I feel like we've got two pundits that can certainly level up in terms of their tactical insight uh, in the game from Gary and Cara. Uh, Raj and Pythagoras, our man, as always. Uh, Raj, I'm going to start with you. As always, I'd love to know how you are. We just had a chat off camera, so it's not me being insensitive. I know the guys are completely fine. Let's talk tactics. Uh, Immediately, Raj, what were your takeaways from this one? Yeah, it was, a, it was a bit of a dull affair, I thought, tactically. I mean, Man City, I thought, were pretty sloppy in the first half. They were giving away some pretty simple balls. I think Man U had two counter-attacking chances from that. Um, so they were definitely weren't at their best, and obviously that penalty decision came. Um, but yeah, I think then second half is where you saw the real Man City. Bernardo Silva took over the match. Um, he's playing in that kind of top left of the box midfield, and him and Grealish had that combination down there where Man U couldn't get near either of them. They were keeping the ball for fun out there. And then Bernardo was the one, really, who then managed to penetrate and get into the final third into more dangerous areas. And he created three big chances in the end. So, yeah, a sterling performance from him. Uh, and Manchester United, I think, we saw some of the same old frailties. I think pressing structure we'll get into, I think, was very poor second half when they changed the midfield. Um, and then, yeah, the most of the chances came in transition. They could have done a bit better. Hoyland had a chance. First half, Rashford had one. Second half. So there were some opportunities there, but I think there were frailties in terms of the playing style, as as we've seen before in the in the last few weeks. I know, I know, I know you're ready to talk. There was an Ericsson comment before we started recording, so I want to I hear from you. Yeah, I mean, I was trying to kill a mosquito before the game started, but yeah, we, we likened Ericsson to the mosquito. But no, I think City had their usual sort of 3 two, five structure. And we know like City play a very structured style of football. And I think we commented on it before the podcast that it can be quite boring to watch, but at least they've got a structure. And I feel like the United team in the first 15 to 20 minutes, there was kind of like a little, okay, we're going to catch them on the counter. And City were caught cold a few times. I think Hoyland 
was the key player in that first 15 to 20 minutes. His hold-up play was good. He was able to spin people on the flank. He was running the channels. And, you know, there's a lot of criticism on whether or not he should have put that chance away. Me, personally, I think it's a very difficult chance to pull off because it's come across him a little bit. And because he's a left-footed player, he kind of knew, I'm going to have to take this on my right. Then he's got three players chasing him. And I think John Stones did a wonderful sort of little toe poke to just get mm. in between them both, nick the ball away, which kind of disrupted Hoyland's run and the sense of where the ball was. It's a difficult chance. And I think he did actually quite well to then, I think I think it was Walker who came across to confront him. He uh, beat that play and then put a cross in as well. So I think first 15 to 20 minutes, United look lively. But as we've seen with United this season, stupid errors, for example, that penalty, uh, you know, that foul. I mean, we'll come to that, but basically it knocked the stuffing out of United. And then if you look at the shape of United for the vast majority of the match, the width was absolutely awful. So they had, obviously, Bruno tucking in very close to Hoyland. Rashford, obviously, he's quite ill-disciplined. He kind of just wants to play as a striker. And then you've got fullbacks who can't really get forward because Dallow was too busy trying to lock off Grealish. And Lindelof obviously can't get forward because he's right-footed plus he's a centre-back. So there's absolutely no whip coming down the flanks. Now, we know City are also quite a narrow team. However, they just know how to space themselves positionally to make the pitch wide. And that was a key issue, I thought, for United because everything just had to go through the centre. Nothing really came from out wide to stretch City. I think post-game, there's obviously immediate... Um, and I actually fully agree with you, by the way. Um, there was immediate talk about United tactically. I had a look at Mason Mount's uh, stats at the end of the game, and I'm fully, I'm not on board with digging players out, but he completed four passes in 45 minutes. He played right midfield, he played central right midfield because you tinkered a little bit, and he played as a six as well. In like a, it was just like, and this sort of, I think, pays testament to the situation United have found himself in. By bringing Mount in, I think a lot of people said, why have we signed Mount? And now we're sort of going, he's had to, I think he even said in his post-match, when you've got Mount on the bench, you have to bring him on. So he's got himself in a situation now where he's bringing a player on for the sake of bringing him on. Um, and then, of course, there's the Amrabat half-time substitution, which I think is a good place to start. Because like Raj said, tactically speaking, this this game was pretty much done before it started. You knew what City were going to do. The Bernardo overlapping element was maybe something we didn't expect too much, but generally speaking, it felt quite similar to what we thought. Um, the Amrabat substitution at halftime, Raj, a lot of people put the entire second half performance down to substituting potentially a most defensive midfielder. Well, yeah, it's a fair point because what I saw after the match was Ten Hag's comments. He said, we need to be more attacking in the second half. And I think that's a bit of a simplistic way to look at things again when you're playing against Manchester City. Uh, Neville made the point on Sky. I think it would have been better if Man U just stayed in the game a bit. Uh, and Man City weren't really creating much in the first half, let's be honest. That penalty came out of an innocuous chance. So I think staying with that same midfield setup would have been all right. But as uh, Pythagoras mentioned, on the right, there was that big issue of having no whip and maybe to bring on a Garnacho or something. Uh, could have added something rather than just changing the whole midfield structure. And then he saw for the second goal, one of the most simple build-up patterns from Man City. Chip over the top, I think, to Phil Foden. Foden plays one pass into Rodri uh, and Man, Man U's press is broken. Matt Rodri's running straight through the middle of the pitch, access into the final third and Harden's found and scored. So the whole pressing structure changed with that midfield substitution. Um, and I think it talks about that. that, that I think it was a naive substitution really from Ten Hag. Um, Mount has a 10 
as you said, didn't affect the game. Um, and McTominay in a double pivot has never worked. We've seen this ne- numerous times in the past. I don't know how he's gone back to that. Um, and not only does it talk about his in-game management, it also, as you say, goes back to his choices in the summer, bringing in Mount as his marquee midfielder rather than another double pivot midfielder. And it's led to him having to resort to McTominay playing there. That says it all about Ten Hag's direction that he's trying to bring into Manchester United. It's not working. So just touching upon Rodgers, you know, I think 100%, you know, bringing in Mount, I think, raised huge question marks as to his his talent ID and his ability to execute transfers. It made no sense because Mason Mount, in terms of profile as a player, is very similar to Bruno Fernandes. So it didn't really, you know, what United needed was a new holding midfielder who can basically be on a similar level to Casemiro, but is younger and he's better on the ball. That's what the sort of profile we're looking for. Um, we didn't do that. And instead, we brought in Mason Mount, who doesn't even resolve the register issue United about in terms of controlling the play. The only player who can kind of do that is Ericsson. And I always say about Ericsson, this is a guy who's come back from a heart attack. And he's a guy that we've got trying to be the heartbeat of our midfield. It doesn't make any sense to me. Like, this is a guy who is miraculously still playing football. And yet we're, we're somehow building a club or the midfield around this guy. It doesn't make any sense to me. Um, and then obviously bringing in uh, Amrabat, who I see as like, I think I, I did a video on him. I think he's like a Europa League level midfielder um, who could possibly be like a bit part player in a Champions League squad, if that makes sense. But he's he's come in as our sort of short term attempt to try and resolve this Casemiro situation. But if you look at Amrabat as a player, he's quite energetic. He's, he's not really someone who's really going to sit in the holding role. I know he did it for Morocco. But that was a whole team playing a very sort of defensive, counter-attacking system. And international football is different in terms of its demands compared to club football, where United are expected to be a bit more on the front foot, especially at home. So, But at least he is some kind of a holding midfielder. Taking him off and then putting McTominay next to Eriksen, there's absolutely zero defensive positional awareness between the two in that holding role. So the balance just went out the window of what Ten Hag panicked. I'd like, I mean... You've given away a goal first half, but it was it was through a silly error by a player pulling a player. It wasn't actually like we were being cut open dramatically to the point where a sub needed to be made. And I think it's just got to the point now where Ten Hag knows his job's on the line. He's losing control of the players and he's starting to make quite panicky sort of substitutions. And I think last season, his substitutions were quite good. His ability to turn around situations where, which were negative for United into positives was, you know, it was applauded, but I think now second season syndrome is setting in and now he's just kind of been exposed and the panic's getting to him. He's not handling the stress at all. Do you... So I, I sort of sit here and like hear everything you're saying and although I'm trying to stay pretty impartial, mm. I tend to agree that a lot of what both of you said is very true. Um, I'm not even going to delve into this conversation about the Glazers and things ha- happening further up the chain at United. I do think the style is a big problem. That I think Raj, you tweeted as well that, and I felt the same. I don't know if uh, Rice, you agree, but um, I didn't actually think City played that well, um, which I know sounds ridiculous because they won three 0 and you're both nodding, so I'm going to assume you both agree. Um, so you leave that game losing three 0 Some people say it could have been four or five. Some people saying the. The, the the penalty changed the direction of the game. The substitute changed the direction of the game. But ultimately, my concern here is like style wise, I'm still scratching my head. Like I don't know how Manchester United are meant to play in any given game. Um, 
And so even in this game, like I think it's got to a point where Ten Hag, I, I feel like anyway, with no disrespect to him, is just throwing shit at a wall and hoping something sticks. Um, I yeah. think what you said is 100% on point and I just want to bring Raj into it because literally Raj, you said based on Mason Mount or what positions he played, maybe it was you, Nuvade, but the amount of positions he played in that 45 minutes and he's touched the ball I think four times or whatever, that just says it all, doesn't he? He's, he's kind of just making it up as he goes along at this stage. He's lost his own sense of identity mm-hmm. and I think I touched upon it in our last podcast together. He's Obviously, at Ajax, he had a particular style of football, but I think that was more the fact that Ajax have got a brand of football which they kind of expect their managers to kind of play and it fit into that. And it's a lesser standard of football, let's be honest, the Eredivisie. He's then coming to a club where the political situation is very toxic. Your main players are your Rashfords and your Bruno Fernandeses, whose style of football suits counter-attacking football. And what United needed was a real sort of character to come into the club He's going to put his foot down, say, this, these two players, I know they're stars or whatever, but they don't fit into the philosophy of football I'm trying to build, sell them so that I can use that money to build a club in a certain direction. And I know for a fact that someone like Pep, he'd have he'd had the balls to carry something like that off. But that's the sort of institution we're talking about. Manchester United, a club that's huge. You look at, like, for example, Coutinho was like a star player at Liverpool, but Klopp kind of, okay, used him one season or whatever, but then... He, he was happy to sell him off for the greater good of what his project needed to go through. Like he, he wanted to rebuild his midfield in a different direction. I don't think Ten Hag's got that character. I think the job is too big for him. I think the players are too big for him. I think the fact that he made Bruno Fernandes captain, for me, said it all. And I said it prior to the season. As soon as I saw him make those decisions, I was like, writing's on the wall. Because for you to do that, for me, shows me that you as a manager have flawed decision-making skills and your ability to read characters and read situations is flawed. So, yeah, for me, as soon as he did that, I knew the writing was on the wall this season. Yeah, and I think there's another red flag that I've seen, really. We're we're talking about his new signings being an issue. I also think there's an issue of him not improving the existing players. If you look down the list, I can't really say there's many players he's improved who were there before before he came. So you look at, for example, the two main players, Bruno and Rashford. They've still got the same weaknesses as they had before he came. There's no improvement in Bruno's pressing intelligence. There's no improvement in Rashford's decision-making. We're still seeing him cut inside and his blast shots from any angles. Uh, so those are two things. And you look at Pep, for example, he's got a guy like Julian Alvarez, a raw talent, and he's already moulding him into this kind of pocket player in between the lines, and, and he's helping bridge the gap KDB's left. You look at Klopp, Darwin Nunes, very raw player. He's already being a lot more clean in his link-up play. So we're seeing these kind of top coaches ironing out weaknesses. Ten Hag's are not ironing anything uh, other than his trousers. But um, also... (laughs) yeah, yeah, I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. 
For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So I can't, I, I, that, that's, I think that's a red flag right there. There's no improvement. And that speaks to his talent as a coach, I think. We, we need to see more from yeah, him in that aspect. Just on that, I think, Nube, there's a difference between a player, no, a player who improves due to the manager bounce. So, for example, like whenever a new manager comes in who's half decent, and we're not saying Ten Hag is an absolute liability. We're just saying, like, let's just say he's a six out of 10 manager. He's coming to a club. And that new bounce that you get from a manager is automatically going to up the levels of players. So, last season, if we had this conversation, we would have said, oh, he's improved Dallow, or he's improved Rashford, or he's improved this. But the true test of whether or not you've actually improved a player is the long-term scheme of things. Because mm. if you look at Rashford, he's always been a purple patch player. So he's had these type of seasons, like last season, I know he's like a level above even before, but what I'm trying to say is he had this even under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer where he had like a purple patch and he was scoring lots of goals. And the season after, he was absolutely terrible. And what Raj is saying here is that his actual core decision-making as a player, his general play, forget about the goals because we know he can score rockets and do this and that. But his actual decision-making in terms of touch, when to play a pass, when to just that football IQ has not really progressed at all. And nor has he been punished for when he's shown deficiencies in it. I have, for example, seen his improvement in terms of inside balls. Now, what I mean by that is when he slightly holds off. We've seen for England, for example, Jude Bellingham makes that run in the inside space and Rashford's able to find. So he has slightly improved. Not going to say he hasn't improved at all in terms of his football IQ, but... The game to game, the consistency of that decision making still isn't there. And uh, Rashford like, is it, really up and down. If you look at a parallel, it's Hung Min Song. These guys are very similar, very good ball strikers, pace, movement off the ball. But Song's decision making is on a whole new level to Rashford's. Song is thriving as a number nine now, dropping off, playing passes to, to his teammates, Madison dropping onto him. So, the, and Rashford, when he's played as a number nine, looked like a fish out of water. So, Rashford should have become that player, and he hasn't. Well, um, I, I honestly, I, I sometimes I just sit and listen to people talk tactics about football, and occasionally I think ah, I don't agree with this, and I've got nothing to say. This time, the opposite way around, I'm going. I agree with everything. I don't have anything to say. Um, can we, can we talk about the, one the, other thing as well? Johnny Evans starting as a tactical choice instead of Rafa Varane. Varane has been, I think, Man United, one of my United's best players this season. He's very well. He's been fit. Uh, he's rarely made any errors. I think he's been actually st- standing above that dross in the rest of the team. His penalty box defending is superb. It's one of his best strengths. And Erling Haaland's in the box. Uh, and Varane, I think, would have made a big impact today in, in this type of game. I think on paper, you're right in terms of, if you look at matchups, right? Haaland, what is he? Pace, power, um, loves to make runs in behind. That's kind of like Varane's bread and butter mm. as a defender. Like, Even though Varane is past his prime, He's still got enough pace and power to deal with that type of striker. Um, what I would say in Evans's defence is that I'm actually quite shocked at how good Evans generally has been. And in terms of his ball playing, he's actually been pretty good. But I'm not sure if he's fully to blame for this performance. But I kind of agree with Raj in that I think tactically on paper, if you just to look at matchups, it would definitely make more sense to go with a Varane in this game yeah. when you're up against Ireland. I, I think it goes back to Nubay's point, he's throwing stuff on a wall and hoping it sticks. I think that's another example of it. 
Yeah. I think on the point of what Roger said there, I agree with both of what you said there in terms of the Varane point. I think the concerning thing is the fact that almost like every single game or every couple of games goes by, Ten Hag keeps making these type of statements about his players. Now, you had Sancho, who apparently is not even getting canteen food at the moment, and he's been told to park in a different car park. Right? You've iced this guy out really bad. Like, Wilfred Zaha didn't even get this treatment from David Moyes for everything that happened. Um, so that, that's, a, that's a massive problem. You then had the issue with Ronaldo. Fine, let's say he got that one right. You then had the issue with Maguire, who's now starting every game. And I, I wonder what Maguire's thinking, because there's going to be a 10%, 20% in Maguire's mind where he's going, this guy threw me under the bus countless times. Like, am I really this guy's guy? Um, then he's he's sort of now potentially, he's just said something about Varane, which he didn't need to say. He, he should have, in my opinion, as a coach, as a manager of a, a squad of players where there's not much harmony, I think you just say, he wasn't feeling perfect today. Yeah. And then just says, say to Varane on the side, look, I've made the decision just because I think of this, that and the other. Don't tell the media these things when everyone's on your case. Imagine what Varane is saying to his mate Casemiro now as well. That I think this is going to cause big dressing room problems the way he's approaching these kind of internal matters. Uh, it's like a cascade effect. Once one person gets affected, the others start getting wind of it uh, and it's affecting everyone mentally by the end. So this is a problem, I think. This early into the season as well, like for that type of... like. Running a football team at any level, right? It's a. We always say like men are quite different to girls in that oh, girls are more sort of cliquey and this and that. Not true at all. Like men's football is very cliquey at any level, even at grassroots. So it's all about managing personalities. Like you've got to know, for example, who's your best players, who's the players you can trust, and sometimes you do have to show favoritism to certain players. Like for example, Sir Alex used to show favoritism to Cantona. But the players accepted it because he's trained the hardest. He's the one that gets them out of situation. So football is very like you have to adapt to the personalities of the team. And 100% what you said there, like, for example, Varane and Casemiro were two sort of leaders within that squad, two iconic players. Yes, they might, might not be as good as yesteryear, but Casemiro had a good season last season. Yes, the wheels have fallen off this season, but the way you manage that situation still has to be politically correct because you're... Football is politics. You're dealing with big egos, big personalities. And if you've got a conviction about someone, like for example, this guy's toxic, I need him out. The summer is the best time to get rid of that player and then bring in a new face. You can't be doing that during the season because if you start doing, doing that during the season, especially if that player's got, like you mentioned, connections to three or four other players, you're just make, you're making a rope for yourself, basically, because like you, you, it doesn't matter how good you are tactically, Technically, as a manager, if the players don't want to play for you, you're done. Like it doesn't matter how good you are as a manager, you've got to win the hearts and minds first, and then the the rest of the stuff follows. And for me, he's lost the heart and minds of the players. They don't want to play for him, and they they've done that repeatedly. To be fair, these ma players have done that repeatedly. Every time it's the second season of a manager, they start wanting to play for him. And he, a top manager would have realized that that's a that's a toxic red flag element within this squad. And he hasn't resolved that. He's fallen hook, line and sinker for the same type of players. And they're still there at that club. Definitely, definitely. I just, before we finish, I just wanted a quick word on Man City as well. I do think they're not really clicking into full gear. We've seen this before, obviously, mm. early in the season. But I think there's a bit of a difference. I think for the first half, especially, they weren't really creating much. And I think the absence of Kevin De Bruyne, obviously, is the obvious one. But I think it is playing an impact. I don't think Julian Alvarez, although he's doing well in this role where he's dropping deep and linking everything up, he's not a high-volume creator. 
Bernardo normally isn't, but he did well in that aspect today. And I'm not quite sure, Pep's sure, which left winger is really the one he, he needs to be starting. Grealish has obviously got that ball retention. Doku's a more direct threat. But I don't think he's quite happy with either of those two. And the two signings, Kovacic and Mateus Nunes, don't really fix that chance creation side of things. They're both more interested in being in deep areas and driving forwards with the ball. Um, and I think he has missed a trick. Obviously, Lucas Pakatar didn't happen. But I think he needed someone a bit more similar to that kind of kind of player in his midfield. I think there is a slight hole there. And also, I think the last line is not looking as settled as it was last season. I think Manchester United did get in behind him a few times today with direct passes straight through the middle. And I think Arsenal did similar where they brought Kai Havertz on as a number nine in that match a few weeks ago. They started bombarding City with long balls and they weren't handling it very well. So I do think there's a couple of things which aren't right. And the interesting match is going to be in a month's time when Liverpool go to the Etihad. And I think City will need to be performing better by that point to get a result. Just touching on Raj's things that you've raised, I just want to suggest like a few solutions that I think Pep could do. So I think the centre-back situation you've just mentioned is like a little problem in dealing with sort of aerials and space in behind. And I think one reason for that is Stones is obviously still coming back from injury. Diaz is someone who now he's won pretty much everything. There might be a little drop off in terms of his intensity level, right? I think Guardiol, I know he's doing a decent job at left centre back or left back or however they're playing him. I think at some stage he may need to take that left centre back role and move Ake into the position that he's in to give them a bit more robustness and youthful feeling within that centre back situation to deal with the balls over the top because he is quite good in the air and he's got better recovery pace, I think, than that pairing at this moment in time. I think one of the issues we've seen with City is they've got rid of Mahrez. Um, Grealish isn't obviously playing as much and his fitness level has gone down. So before when they were playing that sort of 3-2-4-1, it was quite an attacking system because it was basically playing with two wingers as kind of like wing-backs slash wingers because you had Grealish on the left, you had Mahrez on the right and at times Bernardo Silva, but in really good form. I think it's become quite defensive now and the wing play is very boring to watch. Like There's barely any overlaps. At times, you're seeing Walker. Kyle Walker, the guy who was your sort of defensive right back, has now become basically Man City's right winger at times mm-hmm. in possession. Yeah. And mm-hmm. Kyle Walker, for all his strength, he's not someone who 1v1 is going to create something out of nothing. So right. all you see with Kyle Walker is he's relying on basically Rodri finding that switch ball to him and then he get times that run and that's pretty much all he can do. Or if he is marked, he literally turns back and passes the ball back and it's become very boring down that flank. I think what they could do is possibly play Grealish down the left and Doku down the right mm. as a right winger at the same time against certain teams in certain situations where they need a bit more penetrative threat. I think I agree with you on Alvarez. I think Alvarez reminds me of like an Argentine Thomas Muller mm. where he's a bit like a space invader type player, but he's not someone who's a feel player that's going to get on it, turn, create, angles and I think De Bruyne I think when he comes back City will have an uplift in terms of their playing style but you can't rely on De Bruyne forever so they're gonna have to do something and I think it's they're gonna go for Florian Wurtz is my Mm. I think they're gonna go for that type of player to be like a like for like Mm -hmm. replacement for De Bruyne whether they can get him in January I highly doubt it because I think they might have a chance of winning the Bundesliga but I think long term there is a succession plan there um, but whether it'll be enough for this season, I think it should be because I think they'll probably get to a point in January where De Bruyne comes back and I think he's probably got it in him to have a sort of last hurrah 
um, for the last sort of six months of the season. Yeah, Kevin turns into an absolute monster in the title runnings. But it's interesting, you mentioned that right-hand side. I agree. I think that's a very blunt right-hand side with Carl Walker providing the overlaps and Foden tucking in. Personally, I, I agree with you. Doku right, right wing, wide right. And then I'd actually put Foden as the pocket player behind Haaland. I don't, uh, Julian Alvarez, yeah. I like him. But I think he's a rotation yeah. piece at this point of his career. He rotation for Haaland mm-hmm. and rotation for that number 10 role. But I, I think this should be the moment Phil Foden's handed the keys. Here you go, Phil. This is your chance to stamp your mark on the team. You've got that same direct up threat of Kevin where he can turn, drive at players, but you can also thread a through pass as well. But there's some reluctance there from Pep for to, to hand the keys to Foden. And I'm not sure what it is, but I thought this was the moment to do it. And I think that could sharpen City up a bit if he's, if he's given that role. All right. Uh... Fascinating stuff. The the one game that Raj just alluded to there, Liverpool-Man City, I think that will be the game where we'll either see if there is a long-term problem with City or whether this is just that start of season phase that they sort of go through the motions. And we touched on this before the episode, and maybe we might do an inside episode on this, um, but they might get away with it this season because the general quality of the league, as we were speaking about, is so, so low that in reality, City could so, still just be a little too powerful for everyone else. Uh, their upcoming fixtures are Bournemouth at home, Chelsea away, then Liverpool at home, Tottenham at home, but then it's Villa, Luton, Palace, Everton, Sheffield United, Burnley, Brentford, Everton again, and Bournemouth again. Mm-hmm. That's probably 12 wins straight. Um, but that's all we have time for for this episode of The Insight. Raj, I feel like you're desperate to say <laughs> one last thing. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hand you the keys, Foden style. <laughs> so, yeah, last point is, I think these head-to-head matchups between the big teams are going to be key in the context of the title race. And that is because the bottom of the league is of such a low standard that the top teams are winning those games quite easily. So these head-to-heads like Man City, Liverpool, Arsenal, Man City, Arsenal, Liverpool, they're going to be massive, I think. Uh, Add Spurs into the mix as well, because I think they can take points off those teams. So, yeah, big game, uh, and it will have a big impact on the title race. Fabulous stuff. Raj, Rice. Uh, thank you very much for your time uh, for those listening make sure you subscribe and follow the podcast um, and I'm going to continually announce this throughout every single episode of the No Rates Pod until it happens uh, but basically between the 9th of November and the 14th of November uh, you can head to the Leicester Square Spotify billboard and you'll find No Ratings right there so uh, make sure you go and do that uh, but we will see you on Tuesday's episode see you next time Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues 
your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. 